Hello, I'm Alberto Salvato. Welcome to Crime Time, a Virginia criminal law podcast. I'm here with Anna Dvorak, Anthony Norse, and Ann Thayer. Enjoy the show. So here it is, legal disclaimer, because we are lawyers and we've got to write one. So if you are listening to this podcast, thank you. We sincerely hope you are listening to this podcast for its entertainment value and not with the intention of acquiring legal advice for any individual case or situation. I mean, come on, you wouldn't take advice from someone you have never met or spoken to directly, right? If you were bleeding profusely, you wouldn't listen to a podcast in hopes of a bandage somehow materializing over the internet and onto your 3D printer. Seeking actual legal advice can be just as important as a tourniquet. The hosts of this podcast are in no way intending to create an attorney-client relationship with any listener. Sorry, we are sure you all are great people, but we cannot stress enough how little we know of you and your case. And rather than risk an awkward moment, let us just remember we have never met. Nothing on this platform should be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. We are just a group of friends with differing opinions and viewpoints, which we will try to explore through discussions of current events, law changes, and whatever else floats our fancy. Today, we're going to talk about the hit and run statute in Virginia. But before we get to that, there was a really interesting case that uh, it's actually going on right now in South Dakota and involves a public official who happens to be the attorney general. Uh, he is accused or alleged to have uh, hit something uh, or someone, unfortunately, ended up in a fatality. His explanation was that he thought he had hit a deer. He didn't follow the first rule, which is shut the front door. And he actually had some statements to the police officers during their investigations, which uh, came back to haunt him. Uh, the first one is the fact that he admitted being there. And secondly, uh, the fact that uh, uh, the investigators confronted him with the fact that the pedestrian or the stranded individual's glasses ended up in the front seat of this attorney general's car. Some more facts. Uh, apparently, the whole accident happened when the attorney general was driving home from some sort of a get-together. Uh, he may or may not have been looking at the phone. He hit something. Turns out that the individual he hit had been stuck because he himself hit a hay bale, which I think, I guess that's something that happens in South Dakota. Hay bales just happen to sprout up in the middle of the road. <laughs> but uh, he was out checking out the damage on his own car. And next thing you know, uh, the attorney general came over and struck him, killed him. The attorney general left the scene. Uh, he allegedly, or according to him, he did step out and, and look for the deer that he thought he had hit, did not find anything, went home, came back the next day. And that's when he found the body. Uh, if you do look online, you could see some pictures of the car uh, and the extensive damage that was done onto the Ford Taurus that he was driving. Anyhow, this case is, is it's terrible for the family. Our hearts go out to the the, the victim's family. Uh, he is a victim uh, of an accident. Uh, but this case has just an amazing amount of issues that we would like to discuss. Uh, anybody want to chime in on that? Well, I, I think the first thing we start with in Virginia is that driving is a privilege, not a right. And so when you get involved in a car accident, that your driving behaviors have certain responsibilities um, that are put upon you in order to keep that license. And one of the things that you have to do is if you're involved in a car accident in Virginia, there's a difference between if it's unattended property, like a parked vehicle with nobody in it um, versus like a street sign or a barrier um, versus if you are involved in a car accident with somebody that actually has a person inside the vehicle. Um, and 
Virginia separates these charges into a couple different misdemeanors and then a felony, depending on whether there's injury to a person, what the amount of the damage would be. And we have certain rules that we have to follow. I'd point out also that the duty is not just for the driver, but also for passengers in the car who are 16 or older. If there's a crash and you know about it and the driver hasn't reported it, then there's an affirmative duty on the passenger to report that within 24 hours to the state police. And it's a passenger, I can't remember that actually, it's a passenger subject to a felony or would that just still be a misdemeanor if it came out? And that's a misdemeanor for a passenger. In terms of the driver of the vehicle, it's a misdemeanor if it's destruction of property or, or not destruction, but if it's the value of the property that was hit is under $1,000 or if it's under $250, there's two different kinds of misdemeanors you can get. Um, if it's uh, property damage over $1,000 or it involves injury to a person, that's where we get into the felony level range for Virginia. Right. And I know that for a passenger, it can be charged as a felony, uh, depending on if there's personal injury or the value of the damage. So I'm looking at this. I'm going to ask Anna this this question, but I see this case as a defense attorney and I'm just seeing so many issues on it. Uh, first of all, his statements are that he thought he hit a deer, which it sounds that could have happened. But uh, I know Anna and I had a little bit of a, a difference of opinion. Uh, the fact that the glasses were found, this individual's glasses were found in the front seat may change that. Uh, we were having a little bit of a debate on that. And I think that's uh, something we should address. Well, I think one of the things that uh, we talked about was you know, he makes these statements to the police. He thought he hit a deer um, and that he got out to check to look for the deer. You know, the problem for him with these glasses found in the car, and I think uh, there's information in move in news stories about how he uh, how they talked to him and said, look, his face was in your windshield. His glasses were on your front seat. How would you not have seen this? Um, and I think it, I think that's a real problem with a case. If, if this South Dakota attorney general had been charged in uh, Virginia, because in Virginia, you have to know it's not so much that you were in an accident, but you also have to know that you hit property or a person. If you hit a deer, you don't have a duty to stop and render aid to a deer, but you do have a duty to stop and render aid to a person. And your knowledge has to be a reasonable knowledge. So a person's glasses being in your front seat and a hole near a hole in the window um, would be a clue that what you hit was not a deer. And then you have to think about why would someone not be able would not why would somebody not observe that fact those glasses on the, the seat and one thing alberto and i were talking about earlier is it's very possible that this person was coming back from an event maybe had a couple of drinks and thought to themselves if i stop here and i tell the police they will they will suspect that i'm drunk and that would just and the, open the door to so many other charges you possibly can get and or even so if he to, was just scrolling through his phone like there's mm -hmm. like statements in the newspapers and things about he was like searching on the internet which right now as we all know virginia made illegal in january you can't even hold your phone in virginia so and i think that kind of distracted driving would explain the accident but the mm -hmm. behavior afterwards not noticing these glasses which are found on the front seat not noticing certain things 
may go to a different, a separate suspicion of intoxication. Um, it going home and coming back the next day while might support, um, would protect this person from being tested for a DUI or tested for intoxication or, you know, going through the same things we've talked about earlier in episode one, a field sobriety test, which, as we said, we don't know about South Dakota DUIs. We only know about Virginia DUIs. But um, it is interesting that once he was in the accident, um, that he didn't, that some of these more obvious observations, or at least seems obvious from these newspaper articles, were not made. So I think there's some concern with his veracity. I mean, it's possible he could have been injured or hit his head. I mean, was there any reports that he was injured? Because in Virginia, they that could be a reason why you're not able to comply with the statute. Right. And when I look at the exception under the code for that, there's when I look at the the pictures of the car, uh, it's important to note that all the damage was focused on the passenger side. And I'm talking about on the windshield where this individual's glasses, when they went inside the vehicle, far, far, far corner of the windshield. Uh, so it's possible. I still think that it's possible he didn't realize it was a deer. I mean, didn't realize it was a person. I apologize. And just well, assumed I, it was a deer. And what I find suspicious, though, and it's only suspicion, is that he went back to the scene. If you truly believe it is an animal or a deer, you may not go back to do further investigation. And well, nothing, I, go ahead, Tony. Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say, knowing that there is a reason to go back, I think uh, in one of our prior episodes, shut the, shut the front door, he should not have spoken. He should have just left it a blank slate. Uh, and I think by starting to talk, he creates problems for the case where he may, at, on some level, realize that he might have a problem. Well, I had a case similar to this. There were kid was getting dr- um, sick in the middle of the highway. Um, you wouldn't expect a person to be there. My guy was a cab driver dealing with sick people throwing up in the car in the back seat, which most cab drivers would put you out. He didn't. Um, he hit something, thinks it's an animal. He gets out to look that area of 66 was dark because the um, lampposts were out um, in that area. Um, he takes the people home. He goes home. He's going to deal with the car the next day. Um, him and his buddies wanted to know what he hit. They're driving back to the scene to check it out and hear on the radio that there was an accident involving a person um, that was hit in that area. So he's like, Oh my goodness. And he goes to the police department, state police and says, Hey, like, I was out driving. I hit something. I didn't like, I thought it was an animal. It turns out it was a kid that was in the middle of, I say kid, he was in his early twenties or maybe late or um, late teens, but um, was in the middle of the road, getting sick. His friends on the side of the road in a car, not even having any idea that he'd been hit. They called the police to look for him. They didn't even know where he was. So um, he had no idea that it had happened. And, you know, we won that jury trial because you have to know or have reason to know that, somebody's injured or hurt and he he didn't know like he really thought it was an animal until he heard it on the news so i think sometimes um people just don't realize it like you don't expect a person to be in the middle of a highway like that and when it happens so quick and it's dark you may not know any better well and and i would i would say that like in your case you, you know you went to a jury trial so did your client testify in that case yes. about what he knew so it, what's tough about hit and runs is we're talking about whether you knew or didn't know. So her client had to have gotten on the stand and been believable to a jury. So that's really, you know, if, if this, the allegations in the South Dakota attorney general case was here in Virginia and he was charged with hit and run because he could be, 
charged with hit and run felony in this case, because there's a death and it would be a class five felony with zero to 10 years, what he's facing. Um, he would have to be believed by a jury that he, that he truly didn't know he hit a person and all the facts that we've been talking about would come out. Um, and, you know, again, in South Dakota, the charging official felt that they could only prove three misdemeanors. And one thing people have talked about, I think in the press um, is um, sorry about that. I, I, one thing that people have talked about in the press here is that, um, is that why wasn't he charged with manslaughter, murder, you know, someone's dead. Um, and I think that would be a hard case to prove, not impossible, but a hard case to prove um, here. And I don't, I don't know if South Dakota has a hit and run statute like ours or a manslaughter statute like ours. Um, does anybody else have well, a feeling as to why have, that might not well, have been charged? You have to remember that the crime in this particular case with hit and run is that you didn't render aid or call the police or, or 911 for help. It's not the bad driving or that the accident was your fault or any of those things. And sometimes people get scared. Sometimes you were doing something you shouldn't have been, whether it's checking your phone, whether it's drinking, um, whether it's looking at something on the side of the road, whatever it may have been. Um, and so I think it's hard without knowing more about the facts, without someone having seen it or being on video or someone being able to explain it, it's hard to charge other crimes. There is a, there's, there's some mention of that in the article here where uh, apparently they searched his phone and his phone had been locked uh, about a minute and 15 seconds before the impact. So Maybe he wasn't looking at the phone, but I'm not sure what who established the timing either. Uh, it, it's it's an interesting case. I, I uh, and like what Ann was saying, it has nothing to do with fault. I mean, literally, you could have. I've had cases where somebody gets rear-ended and they leave. Uh, now, the reasons for leaving, hypothetically, could be because they didn't want to deal with the police officers because they themselves may have been intoxicated. They may, maybe didn't have a license or they were suspended for whatever reason. They left. And that's still a mis that's still a misdemeanor or a, a uh, felony, depending on what happened to the person who hit you. It's hit and runs are very, very interesting uh, for defense attorneys, and, and they always have issues. And I think one of the problems is a lot of people don't know what kind of information they're supposed to leave uh, with the other driver. I had a client one time who got out to check on the other driver of the vehicle, found out they were OK and then decided to leave but did not leave any identifying information like their name, address, driver's license number or registration or anything like that. Uh, and so technically they could have proven the hit and run, even though this person stopped to check on the status of the other drivers who were, everybody was okay, but there was still an accident that caused property damage. I had a client who was scared he was going to get beat up by the other guy because that, you know, was very aggressive, came up after him. And uh <laughs> What was he going to do? Wait there to get the, the punishment, get the get the beat down and then call the cops at that point? Who knows? Road rage is, is serious. So in this case, it involved a person that it was it involved an attended vehicle with a person in it or, or or at least by the vehicle. I don't I think the other person was stopped. So I don't know if they were in or outside the vehicle. I guess I'm assuming outside if he came through the windshield. But um the rules there are that when it involves a person, you have to call 911 and report it to police and, you know, 
they'll come to the scene and, and get you. <laughs> um, and there they are now. There they are now. <laughs> right um, on time. Well yeah, done, we Mr. Salvato. Well I, done. <laughs> I'm trying to work out my new uh, sound effect machine, which is called My Window on My Street, because I have a um, very busy street. Yeah. So, I mean, but then when there's unattended property, like it's a little bit different, right, guys? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Unattended property. Uh, you can never have a felony for unattended property. Uh, what's interesting about that uh, uh, is a house, if you had a house that's actually attended property, so that could be a felony. But if you're driving in the car and you hit a parked car, you hit a sign, uh, you hit anything, if it's unattended property, it's not going to be a felony. Another important factor is that unlike some of the crimes uh, that deal with motor vehicles, this applies that happens on private property or public property. And so I think that a lot of people may not think that if they hit a car in a parking lot, it's the same as if you hit somebody in the road, but there are duties, the same duties if you hit somebody in a private parking lot. Unlike driving while intoxicated, which, you know, there's, there might be some additional defenses while you're on private property. Right. And same so. thing like with a driving on suspended, for example, but I have actually uh, been a victim of a parking lot hit and run. Somebody backed into my vehicle, my own work parking lot one time. I've yeah, I think that's happened to all of us. Uh, <laughs> so if this gentleman, the uh, attorney general there in South Dakota, I think it was, if he made false statements to police, like how do you think that guy that would have played out a little, a little harsher in Virginia? Because then you're dealing with the hit and run and the false statements to police, right? Or even possibly obstruction. But that's that's the thing. I mean, the police are looking at these facts and they're saying, oh, he knew, he knew, he knew uh, because a deer looks different than a person. But, you know, when you're driving at night and uh, your brain doesn't necessarily pick up the fact that a person's standing in the road because that's not something that we're used to. It's similar to the effect of covering one eye with one hand. It almost feels as if your your hand is invisible. And that's because your brain automatically just figures out what it is that you should be seeing on the other side of that hand. Uh, it's similar to driving. If you're driving, you're zoning out, you're, you're focusing on, on keeping your, your vehicle within the lane, uh, not thinking somebody's going to be in the middle of the road in the middle of the night, you're not going to react. The brain just may not react that way. So the problem is when it does happen, what do you do afterwards? Uh, some people run out of fear. Some people genuinely may not know they hit a person uh, and other people stop no matter what and call the police, which might not and be there's, a bad And thing. there's no defense because you were afraid or didn't know what to do. Um, Virginia doesn't allow a defense for that. It's your duty as the driver on the roads in Virginia um, that if you're involved in an accident, that you take the proper um, steps to make sure that you exchange the insurance information. It's, I think it's always a good idea, even in a little fender bender to have the police called just to have an incident report noted so that the person can't claim something else later or, you right. know, other damage or, or things like that. Um, it can't hurt because then if somebody says, hey, Oh, Hey, this property was in a higher level misdemeanor type charge or, hey, I had injury and you didn't offer assistance or whatever the case may be, you've got it documented with a police officer, at least whether it's an incident report, a police report, a ticket that was issued, whatever it is, um, you have those things on your side. 
Yeah, and uh, following up on what you said, Anne, I think uh, obviously your case is an example of this, that knowledge is always the essential element of this crime. If you don't have the knowledge, that is always going to be a defense. But otherwise, like you were saying, there is, there's no defense for thinking I didn't think I wanted to stop. You still have to provide that information. So what kind of tips do you, which, I mean, we've talked a lot about a lot of things you got to do when you get involved in a car accident. Um, what about reporting things to insurance? Is that a duty that we have as drivers? That always presents a problem because, I mean, so say you have a hypothetical client who uh, may have been involved in an accident and obviously he's got a damaged car. The insurance company is going to call him and say, hey, your car has been involved in an accident. Uh, and we need to take a statement, whether or not they're going to cover the, the damage on the other individual who was hit uh, or if they were hit. Now, I've been asked this question and it, I struggle with it every time. Uh, to what extent do they speak to their insurance adjusters or to the other company's adjuster? Because if there's a criminal case pending, uh, the last thing you want to do is have a recorded statement that's going to come in and, and, and you know, mess up your client when you go to court. So... I usually say shut the front door. I do the same thing. I tell them that while the criminal case is still pending, the best idea is do not talk to anybody, including the insurance company, but with the knowledge that they might make a decision on liability without your statement. And that's not going to help with the insurance, but it will probably help with the criminal case later on down the road. Right. And and I, I'm in the same camp. They record everything. The insurance information isn't private you know, to you. And, you know, those insurance transcripts come in handy for certainly the personal injury trials that happen afterwards, but they also are, can become available um, to law enforcement, to other people. Uh, it's just another way of giving your statement, which you shouldn't do. Um, so as Alberta said, you know, shut the front door. And one thing that I, I will say is that, you know, it, this is a really tough area to, to drive in where we live in Northern Virginia. Um, and, you know, we get in accidents all the time where it's not safe to pull over. And, um, you know, you, you do can't just, you know, on 66, you can't just come off the right lane unless your car is undrivable. Um, so, you know, move over to the side if you can, uh, but cooperate as much as possible. And, and for those folks who do find themselves in a situation where they don't have a license or there are other issues, you certainly flee at your peril. If you think that you have a misdemeanor and you don't want to talk to the police, well, imagine if you run, you end up with a felony. If there's over a thousand dollars of property damage or somebody's injured and personal injury doesn't mean someone's dead. doesn't mean like they're lost an arm. It could mean they've got whiplash. That's personal injury. It's not, it doesn't, there's not a number that's assigned to that. So, you know, we used to call when I was a public defender, used to call turning a misdemeanor into a felony you know, people would sign, have a driving on suspended. Yeah. They'd be have a suspended license and they'd sign their brother's name or a fictitious name on the summons, which is a class four felony. Um, and they just turned a terrible, a, a not great situation into a terrible situation. Um, and because it's a crime where of lying, uh, our prosecutors often didn't drop those cases and they, they didn't drop them from felonies to misdemeanors and say, oh, it's just a big understanding misunderstanding. So for those people who do find themselves in a jam with licensing and are driving and are in an accident, please don't succumb to um, the 
the impulse to flee. It just does make it worse. Um, and just as Alberto said, shut the front door. Don't talk. So I, there's a real famous case. Um, a few of us know happened in Fairfax and it was a few years ago, but it was, uh, you know, somewhere where there was a lot open space and somebody apparently owned a pig and the pig had gotten out onto the street and an individual struck the pig and injured the pig. Now there was nowhere uh, around this pig. Like there were no homes around this pig. There was, he couldn't go find anything. And he was worried that he didn't know what to do. The pig seemed to be walking around. Okay. But knew that the pig was, was injured. Uh, well, he left the scene. And the next day he gets a call from the police and they're like, listen, you, you hit some property and the pig is, is cattle. So it is property. It belongs to somebody. It's not like a wild animal. Uh, and the police officer said, look, uh, you've been identified. Uh, you're going to have to come back. And nobody could figure out how he was identified at all. Uh, but he had that, that charge. And uh, turns out that the, uh, the pig squealed. Uh, uh, <laughs> all right. Well, we've talked. Sorry, about, I we've, killed it. <laughs> all right, we've talked a lot today, so let's um, give people our last tips on what to do if you're involved in an accident, um, so that you can avoid having a hit and run charge. What do you guys think? I thought I already gave my last tip, so I'm already done. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I would concur with that tip that you should always stop. But you also should exercise your right to remain silent if you think there's anything that could go wrong. But you do have a duty to stop. And like Anna was saying, you can turn a kind of bad situation into a terrible situation by deciding to take off. So you should stop. Uh, and if there's an underlying issue that you don't want to talk about, you should exercise that right to remain silent. That's absolutely true. I mean, honestly, it's, uh, we've had so many cases that start out with just a it could have been a, a fine for driving without a license. Next thing you know, they're looking at, uh, what is it, five years? Oh, 10 years in jail for a felony. Yeah, 10 years in jail for a felony hit and run. And it's it's unreal. So so listen, my advice is try to follow the rules of, of the road. Uh, don't drink and drive. Don't reckless drive, uh, speeding over 20 miles per hour. We covered that last episode. Uh, you know, and, and then really, if you hit something, it's just... Anna, Anthony, and, and Anne, they all say it. It's like, look, just deal with that. Don't deal with the other element of leaving. My um, issue would be, or my last tip is going to be, call the police, document it, take photos, take video of it. In this day and age, we all carry a phone with us. There's no reason why you can't um, record the conversations, why you can't. Um, Virginia allows that. It's a you know one-party state. Um, and you know, take photos of the injury. Or, or if somebody is injured or if there's photos um, of damage to property and document it with police, at least have a report. So if things come back that are alleged that you did or said, like you at least have something to support what may or may not have happened. And um, we wish everybody well, stay safe out there. Northern Virginia is a tough place uh, to drive as we all know. <laughs> yep. Yep. Bye-bye. And that wraps up today's episode of Crime Time. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you again. Good night.